You are listening to Go Doc Yourself, your weekly documentary book club. Listen in while we two errands dissect our most recent documentary find. Sometimes weird, sometimes mainstream, but always entertaining. Grab a cup of coffee and let's clutch. Hi, and welcome to Go Doc Yourself. I am Erin McCart. And I'm Erin McCart. Welcome back. This week, as we discuss a little bit more gruesome story than, say, last week, unless you really against cursing, then that was a gruesome episode. <laughs> this week, we're discussing Capturing the Killer Nurse. This is on Netflix. It's done in 2022. It's an hour and 34 minutes long and directed by Tim Travers Hawkins. That's a mouthful. Yeah, so this one really starts off with... Our friend, who is the killer nurse, so they kind of let you know up front, but he's discussing at night, he's unable to stop himself. He has to end some suffering. Yeah, they have clips of him throughout this, and he's talking, and it's a very, listen, poor me, I couldn't stand to see these people suffering, and I was a mercy killer, or or whatever he tries to tell himself to make him feel better. And I just pretty much dismissed it most of the time. Well, I think the circumstances dictate that these were not mercy killings. Yeah. You'll kind of hear throughout the documentary that it's not like he took those that were the sickest and on the verge of death. Sometimes he took those that were about to be discharged or (laughs) on their way back to good health. And that's not exactly mercy killing. Tis not. Tis not. Mm Mm-mm. So this is based on a book called The Good Nurse by somebody named Charles Graber. Yes. And he also makes a couple of appearances, which he's kind of a a critic of the healthcare system. And I really liked that balance of this. So not only is it a story about what circumstances led to this in particular, but it's sort of about what circumstances overall allowed this to happen. I'm not going to say globally, but you know, kind of the sentiment of a lot of the different hospitals that he worked at. And I thought that that was really interesting. And now I kind of want to read this book, but also I don't want to read this book because I don't want to know how bad it is out there. Right. Is it just focused on this one or does Mm -hmm. he do a deep dive into the actual healthcare system as a whole and how horrible it is? Because then I was in the hospital three times last year and I survived all three, thankfully, but now I don't ever want to go back. So I agree. It paints a bleak picture. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This story opens up in March 2003. We're talking to Amy Logren. She's a single mom. She's working at the Somerset Hospital as a critical care nurse. I like how she discusses how much she loves working in critical care. She feels like these patients protectors. These are people at their absolute most vulnerable, right? They're... Mm -hmm hooked up to machines they can't protect themselves and that's something to keep in mind going through this this it's they're already in a horrible state yeah she also talks about how you know being in critical care you deal with death a lot which means having a close group to work with really helps keep you kind of sane i would think you'd have to be able to separate yourself and be able to step away have a weird laugh with a coworker, and then get back mm-hmm. to it i can't imagine how difficult that would be i think this is something that 
has been brought up since and in, in COVID times that there's a lot of mental health things that these kind of caregivers deal with. It's probably exacerbated um, anytime you're dealing with a lot of death. So I too enjoyed the fact that they had a really tight knit group, a lot of support among the staff, mm -hmm. which is really lovely. We also hear from Donna Hargraves, mm -hmm. who was a nurse during this time, 2000 to 2014. And she talks about what a great community it is to work in and even like the work culture there. And I was really happy for them that they had that. Mm -hmm. But yeah. But sad knowing what's going to happen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, because they, they both talked about how Charlie was a great teammate. He was a great nurse. Charles Cullen mm -hmm. is the man of the hour, if you will, that we're talking about. <laughs> But he seemed like a really good nurse to them. And he was a great person to work with. And the three of them weren't together quite a bit. Amy commented that she thought that Charlie might have been bullied, bullied a lot when he was younger. So she felt like she needed to protect him. But she seems like a protector in general. So that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I think, unfortunately, nursing is mostly a female profession. So anytime you see a dude that's nursing, I kind of wonder what kind of shit he has to deal with, mm -hmm. which is unfortunate. Yeah, I agree. I've had some great male nurses. Great at getting the vein on the first stick, which is, <laughs> you know, that to me is amazing because I can't imagine. I would just turn away and poke at people and hope that I hit <laughs> the right thing. And I'm sure they don't. I mean, they frown upon that in the medical field, I'm sure. Yeah, I don't know that you can really make people a pincushion beyond your first year or two. I think that there's some like probably, you know, learning situations, but eventually you're going to have to be able to uh, practical your way out of that. Yeah. <laughs> and that's one of the many reasons I'm not a nurse. Also not smart <laughs> enough. It's a very competitive program and I'm not a good enough student to do that. Let's be honest. Well, I think it's really unfortunate too, because I think that they're hurting for nurses. I mean, that's what we've been told for years, months, like it's not a joke to be a nurse. You really have to be on it mentally. Physically, I think it's demanding. I hope they get paid like a shit ton of money because they deserve to. A, dealing with people at their worst, dealing with people who are ill. Mm -hmm. That's not a great time. You know, you never really know what kind of situations you're going to work uh, walk in on, especially like families are probably dicks and stuff like that. Yeah. Seems like a hard job. Yeah. Okay. Now we move over. We've got the, the groundwork for the hospital situation. Now we move over and we talk to Lucille Gall. She is the sister of Father Gall. Sorry, in my notes, I just realized I put father of Father Gall. She is not the father. Of <laughs> <laughs> She's the sister of right. Reverend Gall, if you will. Indeed. Yeah. She talks about how he always wanted to be a priest. He was really shy unless he was passionate about something. I think that explains most people. Not the priest part. And he was, they were really close as siblings. And he calls her at like two in the morning one day. And he's like, I'm having problems breathing. Mm -hmm. So she's like, okay, I'll meet you at the hospital. I hope he called an ambulance because that would be difficult to drive. But they don't discuss that. We'll assume an ambulance was called. <laughs> uh -huh. So she gets to Somerset Hospital and they had to intubate him. That's how bad his breathing had gotten. Yep. But he made it through the night. And he was stable and he was actually on kind of getting better on the road to recovery, if you will. Right. And he had been moved to a different unit. So kind of out of ICU into CCU. Mm -hmm. And so Amy discussed that 
because he was getting better, she was really surprised when she had heard that he had coded and died. Like it was out of the blue. Yeah. Not really making a lot of sense given his improving condition. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I think that there is some investigation, right? Because it's an unusual death. So they do some tox panels and things like that, but they don't find anything that sets off any alarm bells. So Mm -hmm. they're like, I mean, okay and stuff. Thanks for playing. (laughs) Right. And well, and I wonder how many cases in an ICU situation do they do like a full autopsy and things like that. And when you do a tox screen, there are so many drugs out there. What do you mm-hmm. screen for? You have to screen for things that you would think, you know, either illegal substances or things that are commonly misused, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I think that there are probably some statistics that drive this. Like, here are the big the big 12, let's say. I have no idea right. how many there are. But, you know, these are the ones that we see that uh, are most likely to have caused a problem. Mm-hmm. You know, so unless they have more to go on than that, you know, probably not going to investigate beyond. Right. Because how many times are you spending money and wasting money because nothing comes of it? And it's, I get that. I get that. Right. Right. But we know that there have to be some investigations because we hear a call to the New Jersey Poison Control Center. Mm -hmm. And this is someone from Somerset Hospital calling to investigate toxicity that has occurred in a patient. Mm hmm. Let me ask you this. This is a question I have. If you're in a hospital and you're a nurse and you have doctors and you have pharmacy and pharmacists and probably toxicologists on site, don't you think this information would be available to you at the hospital versus calling the poison control line? I don't know. I think if you suspect shenanigans are afoot, maybe you ask this way. I mean, I don't know if they knew that it was recorded Um, and I don't think there's anything on the sly about this. I think this is literally someone who is asking questions Mm -hmm. to gain information. It's not like, you know what I mean? It's not a suspect. You think it was more, I need an outside perspective versus looking internally and then having someone ask questions to me about it. It seems that there was some suspicion Mm -hmm. in this unit about some things. Mm -hmm. So If I were a person who was trying to find out some stuff without anybody else knowing, I would not go to the typical sources. And if this is in 2003, I don't, I mean, like, I guess the Googs isn't available. I mean, they could ask Jeeves. Jeeves is there (laughs) always for us. Yeah, but I think this is somebody who wanted a reliable source and not Mm -hmm. like baby Wikipedia or something. Right. Well, and I'm, I just feel like, I just feel like they would probably have databases in that to have the information for adverse effects to digoxin or something like that, right? Yeah, it's an interesting question. Right. Anyway, they call poison control and they get one Dr. Bruce Ruck um, who took the call. So mm-hmm. he's saying that this person from Somerset, which I'm surprised they said where they were from and not just like, hey, I'm at some random hospital somewhere. Anyway, he said there was some concern about patients that hadn't been given digoxin in a couple of days, but their levels were going up, which seemed mm-hmm. odd. This is not a chemical you produce in your body mm-hmm. that they're just administering to help. If you're lacking it, this is an actual drug. But again, I think that kind of supports what we were talking about earlier to say you're seeing something strange going on here. Mm-hmm. So you're getting an outside opinion. Right. 
He also yeah. tells us that digoxin is normally used to treat heart failure, strengthens, strengthens the contractions and makes it stronger. But as the dose gets higher, the heart rate slows down. So it really helps mm-hmm. until it kills you is essentially what I got. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We have a threshold, y'all. A threshold. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Everything is okay until you reach that level of toxicity, right? Right on. What I love is his first thought is lab error. That seems to be everyone's first thought here. And I'm like, hey, 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 calm down. But <laughs> not wrong. I get it. I get it. <laughs> so let's talk about that. Why would that be a popular place to look? I think it's the one is the easiest solution, right? As as opposed to someone getting the wrong dosage, is someone wrong running the wrong sample if you have a new technicians or anything. That is the easiest place to have a mistake happen. I right. believe. Yeah. I do too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But then he realized the patients had died and he asked this question which I think was interesting because I never described why he asked this question, but he said, "Do you have any patients with low blood sugar?" Doesn't that seem weird? So again, I kind of think in context, I think hypoglycemia, right, which is low blood sugar. Mm -hmm. I think that this is a favorite of, you know, angels of mercy. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Okay. You know what I'm saying? So Mm -hmm. if somebody's like, "Mm, what about hypoglycemics? Is that Mm -hmm. a thing you're also seeing? Because again, I think that that's just an easy one that they've been able to find in the past. Right. That's just a guess though. That makes sense. Because I'm like, it doesn't seem like a side effect of the digoxin. Like, okay, if people were doing this, then this would also be a side effect. It's a completely different issue. Right. I think he's just pointing out that, are there other weird things going on? You might want to look for this as well. So I think I've read a lot of crime novels. (laughs) Yes, Bruce has. (laughs) He's there. He's right there. But Mm -hmm. oddly enough, she said... Off the record, there were mm-hmm. two people before that went hypoglycemic really weirdly. Like they didn't have any mm-hmm. sugar issues, not no diabetes. And then here we are having this problem. Yeah. So he literally told her, this is a police issue. Right. Anyway, I think that's a really polite way to say you got a murderer at your hospital. Right? <laughs> Moida. <laughs> you better be watching out for Moida. Yeah. <laughs> And I also love that two days later, Bruce follows up. He calls the hospital and he's like, yo, yo, what'd you guys do about this? And they're like, mm-mm, um, admin's taken over. They got legal involved. I can't talk to you. Thanks, bye. And then it's radio silence, right? Nothing. Yeah. That's not sketch at Sounds great. all. <laughs> yeah. So then we meet Tim Braun, who is a detective kind of working on this Somerset case business. Mm-hmm. Um, it's October 3rd. There was a call that came in for the commander in major crimes, which is Mr. Braun, about a death at the med center from the Somerset prosecutor. So somehow the prosecutor's been involved. And so he's asking for some help from the 5 probably mm-hmm. for the best. Probably. Yeah. And he gets his uh, officer, Mr. Danny Baldwin, involved, who is the new guy. Bless his heart. So he's like, I'm going to make sure I earn my keep, which he does. He does amazing. Right. He's all fresh faced and eager. Yeah. I will say this is one of the documentaries in times that cops really come out well in this one. Mm -hmm. Yep. So uh, it makes me very happy to see that side. Mm -hmm. They were ordered essentially into a meeting at the hospital where they were surrounded by high up admins, legal, and one 
Mary Lund, who is the risk manager for the hospital. She was their contact for the investigation. She sounds just delightful. I think we got a problem with Broad's name, Mary, because we had a Mary in the Garrett Phillips that wasn't any good. So, Oh, yeah. She was horrible. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Oh, well. So they're kind of liaising with Mary and some of these other folks about four different cases. Two are the hypoglycemia cases and two for digoxin. So again, meeting and following up with documents on the internal investigation. And basically, it's just like one paper that wasn't great. And it does mention Charles Cummings by name. But I'm like, seems thorough. Well, my favorite is, yeah, they asked for everything you've got in this investigation. Just send us everything. Mm -hmm. We know this never ends well, right? Mm -hmm. They received one document written by a lawyer, essentially, that said, "Mm, we didn't uncover any suspicious activity. Nothing to see here. Move along. It's fine. (laughs) It's fine. Right. So it just gives off a lot of CYA vibes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. They did mention our friend Chuck in there, and he... You know, just like they had talked to him and that's it. So, yeah, that's it. But at least they had a name. They had a name to look into, if nothing else. Yeah. Yeah, they sure did. Mm -hmm. So they do a background check on this cat. Mm -hmm. They do call a different police department because there was a DUI on record and also kind of a criminal trespassing charge. Mm -hmm. So they're trying to get some deets on this guy. Mm -hmm. And... By doing that, there is a sticky note among the stickiest of sticky notes is really what I took away from that because it's in a filing cabinet. They can hear people ruffling around (laughs) in there. And the person that they have been speaking to from the police department um, mentions to them that there's also been an inquiry by the Pennsylvania state troopers Mm -hmm. on this guy as well. And they may be doing some investigation on our friend Chuckles doing some hoarding stockpiling of medications from a previous employer. Right. I mean, stockpiling and stockpiling of anything just makes it sound bad, but I feel like there are just rooms and rooms just full of drugs. Do you think it's ampules? Like he's just guaranteed to cut his foot or something. (laughs) Yes. I hope he has the safe way to open those. Mm -hmm. So, Danny and Tim have enough to start talking to people around Charles and essentially they find out he's smart. He's a loving father, etc. Now they didn't tell any of these family members or whomever why they were t- talking to him about Charles, but they said no one seemed real surprised that they were talking to him about <laughs> Charles. <laughs> They're like, Oh, this again, you know, it's fucking Chuck. It's not great. <laughs> no. <laughs> I would like to think if someone came and talked to you about me, you'd be like, what? Like complete shock and awe. Well, then the other thing is like, are are they even off the phone with me out of the house, whatever, before I'm texting you? And I'm like, what did you do? <laughs> right. <laughs> God damn it. You know, we're both going down now. I know. Mm. We do not have nearly enough separation for you to be pulling some shit with the cops. Thank you. We do now. You're leaving me. Anyway. <laughs> I'm too pretty for prison, okay? (laughs) I'm not. I'll beat everyone up for you. (laughs) Oh, okay, sweet. (laughs) Okay. So we go back to Amy, and she's talking about, again, working with Charles and 
how she also happens to have cardiomyopathy. So she's talking about how one night she felt her heart rate go up. It's like 180 beats a minute or something outrageous like that. And she's like, she felt like she was going to pass out. Charles walks up, gets her to sit down, helps her out, gets her medicine or whatever. She never thought about where that medicine came from, but there it was magically. Right. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But she discusses because of this, she was afraid. Well, she was afraid to tell anyone about it because you might lose your job. You might, they might see you as not healthy enough to work with patients maybe. And if you lose your job, you lose not only your income, but you lose your insurance. And this is, could be a deadly disease. So it's a problem. I love the way she framed this and like, uh, the ruminating on, on downstream's effect of like people finding out that she, you know, might have some some shit she's got to deal with. So, mm-hmm. um, I guess fortunate for her that Chuck came along and he was like, "You just park it right here in this chair, and I'm going to take care of all your patients today." Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And he also never told anyone, which is nice because she was worried that people would find out, and he did keep her secret. Mm-hmm. Which is nice. Yeah. So, I mean, like, you know, that kind of goes back to, like, he's, you know, showing loyalty, like, building a lot of rapport with people. Yeah. You know what I mean? Trust. Like, they were tight. So, yeah. 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 That's what you do for people you care about. <laughs> it's just the ones you don't like you kill. I mean. Mm. Okay. We're in the investigation. We're at day nine. They're putting together a timeline of Charles's career. Other facilities he's worked at. There's nine hospitals and one nursing home. God, how did that nursing home have anyone left by the time he... I assume that he saw everyone as miserable and just killed them all. Yeah, a lot of space left when he transferred, <laughs> transferred out. Christ. <laughs> That's horrible. Aaron. We're not laughing. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> all right. Then... It- they find out that he'd been known to abuse his family pets, like dogs and that, and he might have poisoned one of the family animals. I'm like, that is a red flag for anybody. Well, I mean, we don't know what the dog did to deserve it. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> Not with you today. Uh, <laughs> Do you think You're he, right. he busted both of his back knees? Just a, just I mean, a thought, a hypothetical. <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm not spending 10 grand on you, <laughs> goddammit. Right? <laughs> So there was also an incident apparently at Warren Hospital. So now they go talk to the Warren County prosecutor to learn about that case. Mm-hmm. And that case involves one Helen Dean. Mm-hmm. Sharon Jones is the niece, and she talks to us about this case. She grew up with Helen and Larry, who was Sharon's cousin, Helen's son. Um, Helen and Larry seemed maybe a little too close for my comfort, but still. I know. I thought that too. That's just my own hangups. Yes. Mm -hmm. But Helen had gone to the hospital to have a procedure. Not sure what procedure, but just a common everyday procedure. Apparently she was doing Mm -hmm. fine. She was going to be discharged into rehab center. So I'm thinking maybe hip replacement or something. Right. Makes sense. Yeah. Right. And so she was going to go to rehab and then go home. Larry was visiting his mother in the hospital. A male nurse comes in, asks him to leave. Mm-hmm. closes the curtain mm-hmm. and while Larry's at the nurse's station he hears his mom yell ouch Larry runs back in the male nurse runs out and Helen tells Larry that he had stuck her with a needle yep now Larry ever the boy scout had a handy dandy Swiss pocket knife which had a magnifying glass on it and so he could see the injection the puncture wound mm-hmm. 
on the inside of her thigh, which creeped me out a little bit, but <laughs> again, he's protecting his mother. So I'll just say that. It's interesting though, that that was the site, right? Because mm-hmm. probably not something terribly visible. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Just a tidbit. Just, just something I wanted to point out. Mm-hmm. I'm curious if she no longer had an IV hooked up because she was getting ready to be discharged, why he would go that route versus using the IV bag, but whatever. Yeah, we just don't have it. We just don't have that information. So mm. Larry does communicate this with staff and they're like, cool, cool, cool. And then she is moved by ambulance mm-hmm. to the rehab center where like, Larry takes a little break. He like runs home to grab socks or whatever it is. I don't know. Gets a phone call while he's at home that his mother has passed away. And wow, what a unexpected turn of events for a woman who was stable, doing okay. And Mm -hmm. so from then on, Larry is super duper convinced that whatever she was injected with, again, caused this incident. But investigation however thorough we don't really have a lot of understanding of that not a lot of purchase for you know the the ability to like kind of prosecute but Mm -hmm. she does identify chuck Mm -hmm. as her nurse yeah so they identified him larry went to the prosecutor like that night to tell him his mother was murdered and they did tox testing according to the niece for Everything, every drug except for digoxin. I thought every drug, that's a lot of drugs. So there are probably a few left out, but I get what she's saying. Yes. They did a standard panel, I'm sure. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. But they didn't have evidence to prove the case, like you said, so it was closed. And uh, Chuck was allowed to continue on. Interesting, though, at this point, they do discuss that he admits himself to um, a psych facility after the Warren case. Mm-hmm. He's in there for some undisclosed amount of time. I didn't have that on my notes. Mm-mm. And again, here's some of his commentary about he doesn't know how to express to his doctors that he is fearful of his need to help people. And because he doesn't say anything you know, they go through the normal things that you go through and then he's released and there's no reason that he can't continue to work and to treat patients and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. it's not great. Well, in his comments were also, he said he wanted to quit nursing after Warren, mm-hmm. but because they called him a deadbeat dad and he had to pay child support, he had to continue to work in his chosen field of occupation or whatever. And so he was then being put back into the position where he would feel the need to end suffering. I mean, it's everyone's fault, but him really is what it comes down to. Yeah. Which brings a lot of that back to what you said earlier, where he's just kind of postulating on, Oh, I wish I'd been stopped. And Mm. and it's just like, again, maybe if this truly looked like, I think what we normally think of as mercy killings, Mm -hmm. that's again, not what this is. So Mm -hmm. it's just Mm -hmm. a hard road. It's just, a ballsy stance so yeah but i think a lot of times when you listen to serial killers they're the victim they always make sure they have some victimhood in this right they're not to blame this Mm -hmm. charles graber talks to us then he says most of us start our lives in hospitals most of us will end our lives in hospitals and we'll go in and out throughout our life Mm -hmm. so 
this makes, this is kind of a big deal. And unfortunately for hospitals, the staff are somewhat considered interchangeable, right? Nurses are transient, yeah. they move around. And they said that kind of environment was really what Charles Cullen was best suited for. He really just fit right in as an invisible background person that could be put in anywhere. Right. So he had the degree, right? He had credentials. He had references and stuff like that. So there Mm -hmm. weren't really any immediate concerns with what he was doing. But also sometime later, somebody said, yeah, we totally checked his references. And we're like, did you? Did you? That to me, uh, yeah, that was at the end. And that was frustrating as hell. Yep. So investigation day 17, Tim and Danny are still continuing to collect evidence. Amy and Donna are noticing that their lab results are completely skewed. Mm-hmm. And they notice that other nurses are calling the labs because their results seemed off too. And they sure. all thought, that must be the lab. This goddamn lab. <laughs> what are they doing in there? They're just crazy. <laughs> well, call back to what we just talked about. Like if you have a revolving door of staff, you will probably have periods where you have some goofy results as people become, you know, independent and established Mm -hmm. in their work. So, I mean, I guess it's not unheard of. It's just funny that it's always like, are you sure? Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's where the blame always lies. (laughs) And sometimes that's absolutely where it should lie. But what I thought was interesting is Amy said if they weren't sure about something, they would go straight to Charlie and ask him because apparently he was a walking pharmaceutical dictionary or something. He knew more about this than anybody else. Well, he's got all those stockpiles hanging around. He's going to learn what that shit is for. (laughs) (laughs) You'd think he would learn before he stockpiled, but, you know, whatever order. Mm -hmm. He also mentions, this is where we hear him talking again. He said he would use Dijoxin because it would work over a period of a couple hours. And so they wouldn't necessarily connect it to him. He might not even be on shift anymore by the time people passed. And it's a good con in that way. Like it's effective, unfortunately. And he mentions that the other nurses are in the dark about what's going on. I mean, I think that Mm -hmm. they can see, you know, that maybe the death rate is elevated in this ward or whatever you want to call it. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's not really necessarily associated with him. It's just full moon or some shit. I don't know. Lots of full moons. Yeah. Right. Right. So our friends, Danny and Tim, the policemen, you know, they're talking about, it's really difficult to prosecute things in the medical arena. In this case, there are no cameras. There's no witnesses. There's Mm -hmm. no preserved scenes and there's very few available documents. They really just sort of have a hunch that they're trying to tease out. And I thought it's funny that you mentioned that they're an example of doing things the right way, because in so many cases, it's like they just leap to conclusions. And these guys are like, we had to fucking get stuff put together first, which is great. (laughs) Right. Mm -hmm. Right. So they go back and ask Mary Lund about more documents. She's like, nope, I've given you everything we got, which is apparently one sheet of paper. So that was a thorough (laughs) investigation on their part. Yeah. They went to Warren to see if they can get any of those documents. And I'm telling you, to my surprise and shock, they had all been destroyed. Oh, snaps. They do catch a little bit of a break, though, because they ended up talking to, I had Dr. Buck, but I think you had something else from the Poison Control Center. Uh, Bruce Ruck. Okay. Mm -hmm. So Buck, Ruck, it's fine. Um, I mean, 
B Rock, <laughs> it'd be Brock. Let's just call oh, him there Dr. You go. Dr. Okay, Brock. Dr. Yeah. Brock. Mm-hmm. Okay. So they have occasion to talk to our doctor friend and he says, Are you guys uh you guys checking out about the Somerset Medical Center? And they're like, Say what now? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So that's fun. So yeah, he knows that the warnings about the murders that he's been trying to find out more about have just kind of gone unheeded months and months later. Right. Cause they talked to him. And they also talked to Dr. Stephen Marcus, who's the medical director at the poison control center. And they're all like, Hey dude, we've been telling them about this for months. So what took you guys so long to get here? Mm-hmm. Like, oh, interesting. They actually played a phone call yeah. from Mary Lund to the poison control center where they at the poison control center essentially said, if you have someone on site that's intentionally harming patients and you don't do something about it and someone else dies, this is on you to which she's like, all right, sweet. Thanks. Bye. Cool. 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 Um, see you later. Mm -hmm. So yeah, of course the policemen are shocked that the hospital really is doing nothing about this or kind of very poorly done things about it. Like, they're like, yeah, we talked to him. It's fine. It's fine. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, we put him on a pep. I think everything's improving. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So our poison control doctor, Brock, <laughs> talks to us about, you know, is this a cover up to keep from being sued? I mean, mm-hmm. if you want your hospital to have good ratings, if you want your hospital to have funding, they could lose business because, again, this is for profit. Healthcare, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. a scandal isn't going to be good for business. So they might be trying to bury some stuff here, like also patients. <laughs> right. Right on. Mm. So they need to determine if this has been happening at previous places where our friend Chuck worked. So they go back mm-hmm. to Penn State and talk to Trooper Egan again and look at the case that he had. And it turns out there was a nurse that talked to the police about Chuck killing people. And her name was Pat Medlin. She was a nurse at St. Luke's from 2002 to 2004 and worked with Mm -hmm. Charles in 2002. Interestingly enough, she also said, oh, they had a really tight group. It was great working together. Right. You're going to be less suspicious of people that you like. Absolutely. But it makes me Mm -hmm. think about some of our coworkers. I'm like, hmm, you're sketchy now. (laughs) (laughs) that's right everybody likes me and so they don't want to uh whistleblow on me and that's been my whole career thank you so yeah she talks about charles being walked out for suspicion of discarding 50 medication vials in the needle containers and some were used and like some were like pristine there's not a lot of detail we get about this but i thought that was weird Right. And I guess they think because you're not necessarily going into a sharps container. Once you put something in, you're not digging your hand in there to get anything out. Or no. you, you should not, at least. So Yes, please don't do that. Please don't. And so he probably thought it was safe to throw these in there and no one really noticed. He just, once it's full, you tape it up and go. Right. But getting rid of full vials, unless he was later going to go in and take his hand and put it in there and pull them out. You know, like he was putting in there to keep and then moving them. I don't know. Yeah, I would have liked some more details on, like, because I'm like, that seems stupid. <laughs> like, weird. Oh, unless unless it was a room temperature one, so he could keep it there and then use it and not continuously pull out of the drawer or whatever, so he could just use it as he needed. I mean, possibly. We don't know. I don't know. 
yeah, what the motive was for doing that. Although they did decide that it was not cool. Right, right. Motive or not. <laughs> right on. But it made her start to think, um, one Pat, Madeline, about some kind of suspicious deaths and that. So she goes back and she starts creating a spreadsheet, if you will. I'm not sure if it's a spreadsheet. She was just collecting data. I assume it's in a spreadsheet. I love that. Yeah. So she said during a specific period of time that Charles worked at, there were 67 deaths. And she said statistically he could have reasonably been on duty for a fourth of those. So maybe mm-hmm. 17 deaths. But he happened to be on duty for 40 of the deaths. That seems like a lot. But as we also learn now and a little bit later, there were some drugs that he would give, like the insulin and that, that might not happen at all when he was on shift, right? Those deaths might occur when he's not even on shift, but he still would have caused them. So that number might be higher. My other thought was, if they're working together a lot, isn't she also on shift for 40 of those deaths? I'm just saying. I mean, again, so there are some flybys, right? Because they don't really break it down in a way that makes me happy. Yeah, I can <laughs> see that imperial <laughs> empirical evidence. But then it would have been three hours long and we wouldn't have done this documentary. So, Mm-mm. But this yeah. podcast might be three hours long. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so she does take her data to management. And I feel like if she had been killing people, she wouldn't have taken that data to management. It's probably true. That's probably true. I think really it's the same outcome because they were basically like, fuck off, see you later. Mm-hmm. Well, he's gone yeah. now. He's not a problem. It's fine. Right, right, right. right. Mm-hmm. So she calls her friend who is at a police department and they, again, try to talk to the hospital and the hospital's like, no, it's fine. It's mm-hmm. fine. We've investigated. He's fine. Right, right. And they turn it over to the state police, which is where we get Trooper Egan involved. Mm-hmm. And then later, of course, the CEO comes in to talk to all of the nurses to say, don't worry. Investigation's closed. The state found Charlie did nothing wrong. Mm-hmm. And I thought, that's a far cry from saying, I don't have evidence to prosecute, and he did nothing wrong. Those are two completely different statements. But again, when you talk to Charles Graber, who's saying, look, this is the kind of stuff that could threaten a top 100 rating. Mm-hmm. There was some funding for construction that could have been threatened if they came down with a scandal at this time. So it Mm -hmm. seems that protecting the institution over the patients might have been one reason for this. Allegedly. Yeah. The biggest reason allegedly. Yeah. Um, It's easier to give them a good reference and just push them off to the next hospital. Mm -hmm. People sleep at night. I swear. Um, I don't know. Yeah, so they noticed that these types of incidents kind of followed Charles everywhere he worked. Right. Surprise. Yeah. Is it a trend? Is it a pattern? I mean, three data points. Mm -hmm. Just saying. One of the things that the police were trying to get was this Pixis transaction, which kind of keeps track of all the medication that's being dispensed to to whom, right? For the listener, they're kind of like a little mini pharmacy, and it's got like a little distribution thing and you get like I assume type in your number and request whatever it is and it mm-hmm. opens a drawer but only one little caps like one little compartment opens and you can fish out whatever it is you need in there and then mm-hmm. you know so kind of really kind of ingenious but mm-hmm. also yeah. should be recorded right and mm-hmm. so 
they ask our friend Mary Lund, and she says, oh, the Pixis only holds information for 30 days. Mm-hmm. And they're like, well, that doesn't make sense at all. So they call the manufacturer to which they're like, no, it's like everything <laughs> ever done on that machine is retrievable. Right. And so they go back to Mary and they're like, listen, get us the information or we're taking the machine. And we're taking it to the FBI. And she's like, oh, look at that. Here's some data. It's amazing. They're not fucking stupid. I guess I'm just like shocked that they get this kind of rebuff. I don't know. I, I just, it's amazing to me. You are now hinder actively hindering an investigation. Isn't that illegal? <laughs> I mean, maybe only if you're black. Like it should be. Yeah. <laughs> right. oh, yeah. We can't even talk about that. So they get all the information and this gives them some critical information to kind of place Charles there at the time, getting the drugs, you know, at the time that these, some of these deaths occurred. Right. Cause he's still working at this yes. time. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So it wasn't enough for them to convict yet, but it was mm-hmm. enough for them to really want to get him away from patients. So they were able to find a discrepancy in his job application so they could fire him on that pretense and get him out. Yeah. That's pretty smart. Pretty smart. It is really clever. I guess I just find it really problematic that it's the cops that are concerned about getting him away from the patients and not the hospital. That three months previously (laughs) had known about this, four months at this point maybe, had known about this. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. You would think that, I mean, he's clearly a liability. So you would think they would really want to get him out and just, again, move him on to the next hospital or whatever. So it's not their problem anymore, which is I don't agree with. But the fact that they just let him keep killing there was surprising. Well, right. Because if they're concerned about risk management, why mm-hmm. isn't this a risk? Right? Yeah. I don't Weird. know. But he was removed. He was walked out by security which seems extreme for lying on a job application, but still walked out by security. Sure. You know, Amy was shocked, made sure she called them, find out what's mm-hmm. going on, said, I'll absolutely be a reference for you. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. So they start to do some interviews with coworkers. As you can imagine, people are nervous about their jobs. There's some fun things that are happening because not only are the 5-0 present for these interviews, they have administrators, like hospital administrators, in there for the interviews, which I think do nothing but inhibit people from talking freely. Mm-hmm. Supervisors got to be aware of shit like that. And that's the only reason that they would have brought people in to like eyeball you while the cops were talking to you. Right. And Amy said that before walking in to talk to them, she was the last one they interviewed that. You know, Mary Lund gave her a good talking to you about, you know what, don't say anything. Everything's fine. It's cool. Don't worry about it. You mm-hmm. know, don't say anything, essentially. Yeah, great. But she still believed that he was innocent of whatever, right? He was her mm-hmm. friend. He was a good nurse. So she was definitely pro-Charlie at this point. She does begin to have some doubts because she recalls an incident where... She sees Charlie injecting what he what he says is lidocaine into a coding patient. And this person ends up dying. And Amy actually takes the rap with the resident, resident. position. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in the interview, Mary Lund walks out. And at mm-hmm. that point, Danny says, here, look at this Pixis report to where Amy <laughs> could see there was sketchy shit going on. 
And that's mm-hmm. what made her think back to this lidocaine incident to which the fact that she took credit for it because she was the charge nurse. I really appreciate that. Cause as a supervisor, you take responsibility for your people. I get that. Yep. But it turns out that the cat that they were injecting lidocaine with was allergic to lidocaine. So <laughs> that's why he passed. Right. And mm-hmm she realized that she had walked in on Charlie killing someone and she didn't know until that moment. Right. So it's starting to hit home. Danny asked her to help. And so she's deciding she's going to help them at the risk Mm -hmm. of her job, healthcare, everything. Right. Did you see the part where she's talking it over with her 11 year old? Yes. Yeah. Because she realizes that if she loses her job, a lot of things could happen. So, yeah, she lets her 11-year-old know, to which her 11-year-old's like, if someone's killing people, we have to stop him. Right? I'm just like, that's a lot to put an 11-year-old. <laughs> right. But I think sometimes we don't give kids enough credit. Right? Right. Not Not a criticism necessarily, but I was like, huh, okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. But also that 11-year-old had, like she said, more moral fortitude than the administrative adults at the hospital. So, you know. Yes, very much so. So here's another question. So they're talking about the Pixis printout. So they're at Amy's house, Tim and Danny go, and she's helping them because this is a language they don't really understand. So she's helping them. Mm-hmm. Charlie would order medications. The drawer would pop open. He would take the medication out and then he would cancel the transaction so it would look like oh i accidentally ordered this i didn't take anything out Mm -hmm. don't they have any kind of fucking inventory system there (laughs) right there's probably like what a monthly or quarterly or whatever and maybe he had such a range of knowledge and different medications that he was just flying just underneath the radar enough that it wasn't I don't know, causing that big of a problem. I mean, there's a lot of assumptions. People have to be looking. They have to be looking for this. It has to be recognizable, you know. I would think they would have an inventory system of all the medications, even if it's not considered controlled. Mm -hmm. It just seems, you know, I don't know. That's my cost savings, you know, for the year for the hospitals. You're welcome. I mean, I'm going to guess the cost savings is not having an inventory system and just assuming it will be fine because we don't have enough people to do the shit anyway. So true, but I would think it's somewhat automated. Someone's got to fill them at some point in time. Right. And as you're filling them, I mean, sorry, if only we knew a nurse. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely ask ask a nurse. But while she, while she's talking to the cops and Wilson is talking to you, Mm-hmm. Mary Lund calls. Would that not freak you out? Yeah. Are you talking to the cops outside of here? Right? What'd you say right? to them? Yeah. She said, don't say anything to them without representation, right? Right. Like me. I'm your representation. <laughs> <laughs> right. Once they kind of have Amy on board with trying to help prove this case, she's printing things out at work like kind of stealth style um, that had to be terrifying. Yes. All the patient records were in a system that obviously they didn't give to the cops this information. So she's printing out the records of these individual patients. They believe he might have killed. Mm -hmm. 
there's a lot of pressure for her to assist in the investigation as Charlie's friend. So I think she's got a little bit of crisis of conscience about like, I'm trying to protect my patients, but also I'm selling out a really good friend of mine who, mm-hmm. you know, but I think, you know, she's coming around to understand that a lot of what he said, or, I mean, it's just not adding up, right? There's got to be a problem here. So she's willing to kind of help get to the bottom of it. And if they didn't have her, they would have been sunk. So good for her. I think that it ends up being in her favor, but how scary would that have been? Yeah, very scary. Mm-hmm. They also still need to prove a death, any death. So mm-hmm. they decide to focus on Reverend Gall. So they had to ask the sister if he could be exhumed. Mm-hmm. And she allowed it. They exhumed the body. They sent it to the medical examiner. And the amount of the digoxin in the body was enough for them to change his cause of death to homicide. But they still couldn't put the needle in Charles Cullen's hand. Yes. Unfortunately for everyone in the world, Charlie got a new job. Yeah. And so the investigation is out of time, right? Because now he's going to be back helping people out. Yeah. Great. No one needs your help, Charles. Mm. So they have Amy wear a wire. She goes and talks to him at a restaurant. And she's essentially telling him, I know about these things. Why don't you tell me why you did it? What happened? And he just says he can't. But he also completely changes. She's like, this was no longer my friend talking to me. This was someone totally Mm -hmm. different. Which would creep me the fuck out. Yes. Which, again, I think plays into the fact that she's like, oh, this this shit is real. Like it's not, I mean, I just think just the realization dawning on you as this case goes of who you've really been working with would be really scary. Yeah. Danny and Tim confront him and ask him to go for a ride. Mm -hmm. They advise him he's being placed under arrest for the murder of Reverend Gall and they are hoping for a confession, but they don't get one. Mm -hmm. He just essentially doesn't say anything. He says, I can't. Clearly he can. He's choosing not to. But they they can't get a confession out of him. So they call our friend Amy again. Mm-hmm. She comes and talks to him at the jail. Right. So they kind of frame it, or she kind of frames it, as she is catching heat for this at this point, And she needs him to be honest about it because it's going to land at her feet mm-hmm. if he doesn't. That was a really interesting angle. Yeah, I need you to help me now because I'm implicated. Yes. Good strategy. Yeah. Then she asks him, how did you kill Father Gall? And he admits it. He admits he killed him with the digoxin. And at that point, he begins to freely discuss a lot of this with the police. So sort of the, I don't know, Band-Aid is torn off. And, you know, he will discuss it now. It's no more this I can't bullshit. So... Mm -hmm. But he's compelled in suffering, everyone. He feels overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. And so the only way to feel better is to kill people. Mm -hmm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. I think choose a different career, honestly, would have been the better (laughs) option. Anything else. Go for a walk. Any of these. Start smoking. (laughs) He admits to contaminating IV bags with insulin. So this is particularly nefarious in my mind because now anyone, any nurse can pick up that IV bag and give it to a patient unknowingly killing them. So you are now making your friends part of the process. 
And that's fucked up. Which I think is really interesting when he comes back and he's saying shit like, I was compelled to end suffering. I was compelled to end suffering of anybody who happened to be a winner in my shitty lottery. Yeah. Right. And that's kind of what they say, too. Anyone could have gotten those bags at that point, right? And he's like, oh, well, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. yeah. Amy even says she wanted to believe he was a mercy killer, but it's obvious that he wasn't. He was just killing randomly a lot of times. It's ridiculous. Our friend Pat said that one of the medications that he used was Vecuronium, which is a paralytic. So a person would be completely awake and aware, know what was going on, but they wouldn't be able to speak, blink, move, or breathe. They would just suffocate to death as they're aware of everything going on. Yes. Fucking horrible. Yeah, that's terrifying. That's that's really hard to imagine. So again, there are... What did they say? Charlie himself believed that he killed 30 to 40 people. 12 at Somerset alone. Mm-hmm. So Donna, one of the nurses at the beginning, she said that the some of the fallout from this would be patients that would ask her to her face, are you going to kill me like that one guy did? Like Charlie did. And she said it was very difficult to feel those kinds of questions. And she cried frequently about it. And I can't imagine Mm -hmm. what that would be like to know that somebody has caused you the terror of the community and also called into question your integrity just by association Mm -hmm. That's tough. Right. Well, he had, I think, two kids. Can you imagine how they felt? Jesus Christ. Yeah. They talk a little bit about what really the loss was for the families. like, And it's sort of framed as in loss of time, loss of holiday, loss of everything. And I was fascinated to see, like, these aren't old people. There was one kid that was 21. I mean, that's crazy, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Just a kid. Well, yeah. and when he was in court and the family members were giving statements, he would not look up. He would not look at them. He had no emotion. He was just looking down. Mm-hmm. Like he had tuned out. He wasn't hearing any of it. He did sign a plea deal so he wouldn't get the death sentence, but that was based on the requirement that he would help completely with mm-hmm. the uh, investigation. And one of the things that he said was, most of the hospitals I've worked at, I'm pretty sure they strongly suspected that there were deaths associated with me. And when asked why they didn't investigate more, he said, I think they're worried about the publicity. Well, he was safe then, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah. A lot of problems there. Here's where, not that I wasn't angry at what Charles Cullen did, but this red hot rage, red hot rage, Dennis Miller, CEO and president of Somerset Medical Center, was like on the news and asked by, I think Katie Couric or someone is what it Mm -hmm. sounded like. If he took any responsibility for this, he said, absolutely not. We take responsibility for investigating this guy leading to his arrest. I'm extremely proud of Dr. Kors and Mary Lund who led the investigation at our hospital. We're the first hospital to identify him leading to the arrest. The problem is the other employers we called and we did a complete criminal background check Everyone said the following. He left a good standard and his license was intact. You motherfucker. Taking credit for shit that they actively tried to oh, yeah. push under the rug. 
Yeah. <gasps> From the politician's handbook, right? Ugh. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Charles Graber comes back, right, sort of as this wraps up, and he talks about everybody was like, uh, the big question about this case typically comes from the standpoint of why wasn't he caught? Charles Graber wants to kind of point out that he was caught. He was caught multiple times, but nobody had the balls Mm -hmm. to kind of take the stand and hold him accountable for what he did. They just kind of Mm -hmm. shoo-shooed him off, gave him some good recommendations and let him go on his merry way. And they didn't want to have to deal with it. Yeah. And he said, Charles will spend the rest of his life in prison, but those who passed him on, those who are being paid the big bucks to be responsible have never been held responsible. Right. Mm-hmm. So it turns out Charles Cullen admitted to the murder of 29 patients with six attempted murders. I mean, it's hard in a hospital. They can bring him back, I guess. Got to really work at it. I mean, yeah, I don't, they didn't really discuss any of the attempted situations, but I'm like, I'm glad that he wasn't successful all the time. Right. He was sentenced to 18 consecutive life sentences in March of 2006. Mm-hmm. And they believe he may killed, may have killed as many as 400 people. Yeah. it's a lot. So in 2003, the Cullen Law kind of comes, I don't think it was passed then, but I think the lobbying for it began then. But the Cullen Law discusses requiring providers to report impairments misconduct and incompetence to the state. And it also requires disclosure by report to potential future employers. So here we can see that they're trying to get uh, kind of address the gap of if somebody fucks up in the medical field, what do we do about that? How do we govern this a little bit better? So I'm going to stop you right there though. This really doesn't do anything because if they're actively yeah. hiding the problem, then they have no obligation to pass the information on because they, they investigated and nothing was wrong because they say St. Luke's hospital said it fully investigated Charles Cullen mm-hmm. and neither St. Luke's nor Pennsylvania state police found any evidence of patient harm until after his confession. Oh, really? Well, I liked that they were saying that Somerset medical center kind of was a proponent of this law. So I knew right there it hadn't done anything. Wasn't, wasn't meaningful. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, (laughs) awesome. I think this is the kind of shit that everybody wants to see because they believe that it'll make a difference. But again, you're right. I mean, what defines misconduct? What defines incompetence? I mean, like incompetence seems like it would be a difficult thing to prove for somebody that is licensed. So Mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah, it's just saying the words that people want to hear to make them feel better, I guess, Mm -hmm. because it doesn't mean anything to me. Yeah, I have that St. Luke's also said, don't you guys even worry about that expansion thing? Because we didn't base any of our decisions on that during the investigation. That's my little bit of wordplay on that. It was a little bit of lawyer uh, legalese Mm -hmm. when they actually said it. But I was just like, I'm not going to quote you. So (laughs) I don't like you. Yeah. Yeah, it's that to me is the most frustrating. Yes, it is horrible that he killed people. That is that's obvious. What's even worse is that these people allowed him to continue to kill people as long as it wasn't there. Right. As long as we don't have to see it, it's fine. It doesn't exist. We push him on to someone else and none of them are held responsible. Right. So this is still valuing the institutions over the patients. And like when you go to the mm-hmm. hospital, you are putting you're, you're 
the most vulnerable time of your life. I mean, mm-hmm. being born, you're pretty vulnerable. Being sort of at, you know, at the end of your life, pretty vulnerable. But there's probably some shit in between. You know what I mean? So, yeah. Yeah. It's it's terrifying. Anytime you're under anesthesia, mm-hmm. you're completely helpless. That's why I think I'm terrified every time I go under anesthesia. So, Right. And mm-hmm. you're like, who did I bring to watch over me? How much have they been on their phone? <laughs> well, they're not in surgery with you, right? They're sitting back in the room waiting for you. Well, and it's not you. like when somebody comes in to like give you medication or whatever. I mean, I have been in the past like, oh, what is that or whatever. And But I think it's very mm-hmm. rare for that discussion to happen every time. Like, what is this medication and what is it for? And you feel like an asshole because you're asking questions. Sometimes they don't like that because it messes with efficiency and so. Well, but even if you ask, they don't have to tell the truth. <laughs> they can true. whatever That's they true. want. If yeah. they're going to kill you, they're probably not going to be like, well, this is the drug that'll stop your heart, ma'am. <laughs> but I, I still want to think like, if you're paying attention. Maybe they're less inclined to poison you. Right. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. That's my stance. It's kind of like if you're kidnapped, make them feel like you're human. Give them your name and, and all this information to make you human. I once heard of a guy that had kidnapped a lady and he finally let her go because she wanted too much steak sauce. So that's going to be my move. <laughs> yes, be all that absolutely. A1. Yeah. I need to bathe in it. That's how I keep looking young. <laughs> that's, that's right. No. <laughs> Okay. I think the takeaway from this is hospitals are terrifying. Mm-hmm. Ask a lot of questions, people, and uh, may the odds be ever in your favor. That's all I got. Yeah. I mean, I think we know that health is the first wealth, right? So take care of yourselves when you're able to. It's not to say that you won't ever have anything, but you know, you're valuable. Please take care of you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And if you go roller skating, wear elbow pads. <laughs> yes. Just a hypothetical. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Well, this was a good one. It was. Slightly terrifying, but a good one. So scary. <laughs> what are we doing next week? Okay. So next week, bit of an interesting one. We're going to do something called My Old School. It's on Hulu. Mm-hmm. Hour and 44 minutes. It takes place in Scotland. So I'm excited because I'm sure that there'll be some amazing accents, but mm-hmm. I'm not really sure what it is. Not sure. Something about a kid who wasn't who he said he was and it was a big to do and they have Alan Cummings playing the part of the kid. So anything he's in, I'll watch. Right. That basically sold us. Uh, Pretty much. Yeah. Pretty much. I'll watch anything he's in. So (laughs) I hope it's amazing. It looks weird and quirky and we haven't done a weird quirky one in a while. Yeah. So I feel like we've been pretty mainstream lately. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Please watch it with us. And then rate, review, and subscribe. Let us know what you think about what we're doing. Anything you'd like to see us do more of would always be welcome. So yeah, mm-hmm. you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at go doc yourself. Mm-hmm. And that's about it. That's it. So take care of yourselves, stay safe, and we'll talk to you next week. Sounds good. Later. Bye.